This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's hear it for the man, the myth, the guy who has never actually given out a curse. Super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Max claps with two hands, Williams. Welcome back to the clap, Max. (laughs) I have a second hand again, and Ben, no curses given out that you know of. Yeah. Right, right. Well, uh, is is a curse really a curse if you don't know about it? That's the question. Aren't you supposed to, like, actively say to somebody, I have cursed you, and therefore, you don't have to. But I guess one thing about curses is, you know, there's the placebo effect of it all, right? Like, if somebody tells you you've been cursed, then you get in your head about it and manifest the curse curse yourself without maybe there even having to be any nefarious dark forces at work at all. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, A curse does have, you know, the best definition of magic I've ever seen is weaponized psychology. And in that case, then a curse would work if we were to say, I, Ben Bolin, curse you, Noel Brown, through that kind of... um, lens of psychology, then the person being cursed would have to know about it for it to have some sort of effect. But if we take the psychology out, if we say we just believe in curses, then the person who uh, is cursed or has the consequences doesn't have to know what's going on at all. They could be totally innocent. They just walked into the wrong tomb. 
I, I recently started rewatching Rome, the HBO series, you know, about Julius Caesar and all of that. And there is a part in the series where uh, Julius Caesar scorns a, a, a female admirer, essentially. Um, there's a political thing that's caused it to be inconvenient having this relationship. So he basically sends her a packing. And then there's a really intense scene where she curses him, like, uh, in writing, <laughs> like, while saying out loud, I curse your liver, your blood, your bones, your body. And then, you know, has her hand servant take this cursed piece of paper and put it in some kind of special depository. But Julius Caesar does not need to know about it. And as far as this character is concerned, the curse sure as hell worked because, you know, really bad things happened to Julius Caesar. Was it because of the curse? Unclear. This this reminds me of Gladiator, which has been on my mind because I recently, on the road, I have too much time to watch a lot of TV, but on the road, uh, I watched Napoleon. Mm. And what do you think? I, I would did see not like it. Okay. Um, only because... Only because it was very clear to me that this is uh, Joaquin Phoenix playing Napoleon. Sure. So that's it. Didn't it? Didn't feel like. And I love that guy as an actor. I just I don't know. The battle scenes were good, but uh, the the historical inaccuracies pile up over time. But who, who are we to knock it? Uh, there are stories about Napoleon and curses too. And that time he got totally punked by a pack of rabbits, but. Today, oh, I love that story. <laughs> me too. I was think I was talking about that uh, with some French folks. I uh-huh. got in an argument about Napoleon in Paris, uh, and it ended well because of the rabbits. But anyway, so we are talking about curses today. We're going to talk about a curse that you may have heard, fellow ridiculous historians, but you may not know much about it. Like many of us uh, who attended public school, you may have simply heard the name Tecumseh's Curse and never really understood where it came from, if it was a real thing, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it all goes back to the fact that the president of the United States throughout history, and especially now, is one of the most important, one of the most powerful people in the world. That means a lot of folks love you, but that also means a lot of people hate your guts, just on principle. Yeah, Max points out that due to a very small sample size, relatively small speaking, uh, 46 people to have held the job, uh, eight of those individuals have died while in office. And uh, one might argue that those odds are are pretty significant in favor of dying in office. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Podcasters have a slightly safer ratio. We could say only uh, slightly, only slightly. It's hard in these streets. But uh, but yeah, I, I always think about that, too. You know, the tremendous level of stress that the POTUS has. Uh, it's it's sad. It's to a degree. It's kind of heartbreaking when you can see how being president for just four years absolutely wrecks your body. Dude, you know, before and after pictures say oh, it all. God, Reminds yeah. me of a lot of those history accounts that you'll see on uh, on Instagram and stuff, where it'll be like you know young men before they go off to war, and then a photograph of them after, and you see these just like you know these severe hardened kind of lines and just gaunt kind of expressions, and very similar to what happens at the end of a four year term uh, of being president. It's it is it is a battle. It is its own kind of war. Absolutely. I mean, it gives you that thousand league stare, which is a scary thing to see in real life. And, you know, okay, so let's let's start with our guy Tecumseh. 
He is a famous Shawnee chief. He has the dream of a United Native Federation. And the historical lore, like the gather around the campfire type stories, assure us that he is responsible for a curse. But to understand the story of that curse, we need to learn a little bit more about our guy, Mr. T, who I'll only call Mr. T once, <laughs> just because it's funny. Uh, I reserve the right to call him that once myself. Okay, if, uh, good. If that's yeah. acceptable. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's do these terms. Um, and then we'll have a third Mr. T on Max's behalf if he wants to. Uh, okay, Mr. T. All right, there it is. Okay, Noel, you've got the last one left. Do you know Mr. T was apparently terrified of flying? I think yes. his character on the show. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Okay. Also, yeah, does don't... that count as Noel's Mr. T? No! No, oh. it doesn't count. I'm referring, that was me referring to the actual Mr. T from the, the, the A-team. I, I think the spirit of so it. So we're not there. doing Strickland rules then? No. I don't know about that. I don't know what that no. is. That's where if you say a certain name three times, a certain individual appears. Oh, like I've already said it once, so we okay. got to be very careful. I'm, yeah, I'm not playing that game. Although, uh, I just saw the new uh, art for the Beetlejuice sequel. That's happening. Yeah, it exists. I, I've seen some people kind of negging it. Um, you know how many, so many people will make like fan art for movies that are in development? Yeah. And some of them are so good. You're like, is that the one? This, to me, had the air of fan art about it and not even like particularly awesome fan art. Right, right. Well, it's also, it, it's been interesting to me because the original Beetlejuice sequel was supposed to be set in Hawaii, mm. which is definitely choice. Anyway, that has nothing to do with it. We'll do a history of Beetlejuice like later. Well, what we do have with Mr. T, and that is that Mr. T, not That's the, the one. Mr. This is my use there, is that you've got multiple spellings right. of this guy's name, which is pretty cool. Uh, and, and even that could result in different pronunciations. You've got Tecumseh, S-E-H, uh, also spelled Tecumseh, if you got a lisp, you know. Uh, yeah. Then you've got Tecumseh, uh, or to come thaw with the A T H A. What we do know is that he was born in 1768, southeast of uh, old uh, Chillicothe, mm -hmm. old Ch Chillicothe. That's what I'm going to say, um, uh, and that is north of what is today uh, Xenia, Ohio. And he had a very difficult life, to be quite honest. Uh, growing up was not easy for him. His father was killed by a group of white folks in 1774. His mother, who was a Muskogee, left him when he was seven years old to journey with part of her community to Missouri. And so Tecumseh was left to be raised by his older siblings. And this often happens in times of instability. You know, the oldest sister, the oldest brother has to function as the guardian, the parent figure. So Tecumseh is... Uh, Tecumseh grows up under the supervision of his uh, one of his older sisters, Tecumseh, and she trains him in the. Uh, she teaches him what it means to be Shawnee, the mores, the values, the yeah. social codes, and then alongside that, his brother, one of his brothers, teaches him the art of woodcraft and hunting, how to live rough, survive in the wild. That's right. That's a cheesy cow. Um, so he learns some pretty solid outdoorsman type skills 
in addition to having a, a pretty solid backbone and a moral compass. So all, all the makings of a, of a great man. Um, he was then adopted by a Shawnee chief, um, Blackfish, uh, and he grew to become a young man um, with several other foster brothers who were, in fact, uh, white, um, whom Blackfish had actually captured, but appeared to have treated with some level of dignity. You know what? I just hit me. We're really close to President's Day. I almost thought it was President's Day, but that's like, what, next week? It's the third. It's one of those third day of the month kind of things. Third Monday. I'm going on a quick little vacation up to Charleston and see some friends up there. And I was explaining to them, I'm like, yeah, I have Monday off for President's Day. And they're like, what is President's Day? I'm like, so it's what it's like, <laughs> I think it's Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, and George Washington all have a birthday in February. Right. Or, right. So, or close to it. I think one of them might actually be born at the end of January or something like that. But it's like, hey, these three guys were born around this time. Have a day off, which is just like, as I say to people. I'm not going to argue against my job giving me a free day off. Jefferson is in April, I think. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, maybe Jefferson doesn't matter at all in this. He doesn't matter at all to U.S. history or to holidays. <laughs> well, we'll get to Jefferson in a second. But yeah, I just want to shout that out. So uh, as this comes out, then, uh, happy President's Day to all who celebrate. I guess. I don't know. How do you celebrate presidents? I was about to ask. How what does do do? one celebrate presidents? Do you presidents? dress Put up like a, your favorite president? Maybe. Put on a powdered wig, a funny hat. Yeah. Give a speech. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, take over some Take over some other people's land. Okay. Sure. Too soon. That'd be on brand. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents... A new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. 
It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your teen enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers here at Ridiculous History. And you know also is a huge uh, iconoclastic challenger of the status quo, Ben? Who is that, Noel? Well, I think you know. Hmm. It's Harry's. Yes, it's Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. They also have deodorant. Yeah, I was about to say. Very helpful. I do really enjoy uh, their line of self-care products. Um, Richly lathering, skin-softening body washes and scents like redwood, wild lens, and stone. You want to know what a stone smells like? I've often wondered. Only you know you can. <laughs> so don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash history. Once again, that's harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set. Back to Tecumseh, like you're saying, he is definitely anti-American soldiers and settlers. And there's very good reason for this. Uh, but he still had that Shawnee code. So he didn't want to uh, commit what we would call war crimes. He thought it was right and ethical to fight American soldiers on the battlefield, but he wouldn't stand for them being tortured, for being burned at the stake, drawn and quartered, and when he saw, for instance, when we when he saw some compatriots preparing to burn a guy alive, uh, he went absolutely nuts. He went ham on them. And they, to be fair, they didn't stop torturing prisoners, but they stopped torturing prisoners in front of him because of his code. And for the, the years after the Revolutionary War, he's like a one-man guerrilla army. He dropped some serious uh, shaming on those guys, and they uh, they reacted. Uh, it would seem. I mean, and, and he had an air of legitimacy and um, authority about him. People paid attention when he said stuff, you know. When and that that code he he kind of transmitted to anyone who he encountered. So after the Revolutionary War, Tecumseh was um, a uh, like you said, kind of a one man show, a bit of a marauding uh, one man guerrilla army um, fighting in various uh, skirmishes against the whites um, in uh, the old Northwest um, and helping out uh, with the Cherokees in the South. Um, he was the youngest of this particular band of, uh, of folks that he was a part of. Um, but 
again, for a lot of the reasons that we've already listed thus far, was chosen to be the leader because of his just absolute charisma and uh, and chops on the battlefield. Um, so he continued to fight in small uh, actions is what the, the source that we're looking at refers to them as in the South. Um, and he became uh, friends with the Creek Indians, a relationship that would later help him to form an alliance. Yeah, yeah. And this alliance will be incredibly important uh, and we see you know times of war and chaos make for strange bedfellows so there's very much a sense that these guys are uniting against a larger more dangerous power right and they're going to put their differences aside for time unfortunately during these days Tecumseh loses two of his brothers including uh, his brother Chisikau who taught him the the arts of living in the wild. Uh, Chisikau dies in 1792, fighting in the South with uh, Cherokee compatriots. And then Tecumseh's brother, Sikau was killed in Ohio in 1794. And the, these deaths are a big reason that, or a big part of the reason that Tecumseh opposed the so-called peace chiefs. They're the community leaders who wanted to push for a peaceful resolution with the nascent American forces. Yeah, which is interesting because, I mean, he he did seem like he was someone who understood how to balance between, you know, war and peace. And that there, there was a time for war and there was a time for peace. He wasn't like an outright hawkish, you know, type dude, but he also wasn't like a, uh, a dovish type dude. He existed somewhere in the middle. He was very pragmatic. So Blue Jacket, uh, who was a uh, Shawnee chief of note, who at this time um, in uh, 1794 was amassing uh, forces, uh, warriors to meet the U.S. Army um, on their turf uh, under Major General Anthony Wayne. Um, this blue jacket actually summoned Tecumseh. Um, uh, he, he called for him to return to Ohio. Um, however, uh, it would uh, seem that the general uh, wasn't looking for a fight, was actually hoping to make a deal instead. Yeah, we're again, we're getting some of this from our good friends at Encyclopedia Britannica. Here's how they put it. When the leading chiefs of the Old Northwest gathered at Wayne's Call in Greenville in Ohio, Tecumseh held aloof. And when the Treaty of Greenville was negotiated in August 1795, he refused to recognize it. He roundly attacked the peace chiefs who signed away land that he contended they did not own. So he's saying the land is like the air and the water. It's the common possession of all the native people and the native communities here. This is uh, this is the institution of communal ownership of land policy. That's that's one of his big platforms, and he is a really great public speaker. Even the even his enemies, like the American soldiers, acknowledged that, and they said, you know, we don't agree with him, but this guy's basically like the Native American version of Henry Clay, and. Right. And he like, which was much more of a compliment at this time, which was much more of a compliment at this time, because at this time, uh, Henry Clay is still on the rise in Kentucky. He's still got that new car smell. Well, Ben, it reminds me a lot of an episode that we recently did on Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, and the term is escaping me now. But what was that term, Ben, about the idea of uh, of land that is unclaimed or terra nullius, uh, terra nullius, and just within that 
conversation, the idea of ownership of land was like kind of front and center in, in that episode of Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. And this is a great example of like two sides that have a fundamental disagreement or different view on the concept of who owns land. Not only in terms of like, you know, who owns it like in practice, but just conceptually who owns land. How do how does one own land? How can land be, you know, uh, the property of an individual or group? Right. And what we discover in that episode, which you absolutely, ho- hopefully will be out by the time you hear this, folks, but absolutely check out that show uh, because we gain a new appreciation for the power and danger of flags, as weird as that sounds. <laughs> it's one for the vexillologist in your life. Um yeah, you're absolutely right. This idea of land is a surprisingly complicated question because the need for it is so universal and human history really is an agglomeration of rationalizations for taking land from someone else. And he still has other brothers. This is where we take a little bit of a turn. Tecumseh himself seems like a pretty righteous, maybe kind of humble dude, but his brother is a little bit of a a little bit of a different case and this actually comes up in a great science fiction fantasy series by Orson Scott Card called um Alvin Maker. Oh, this I guy know that. appears in that one. It's a great it's weird that it hasn't been made into a film series yet, but it's really good. Isn't Orson Scott Card a little problematic? Yeah, like, he's a terrible uh, person. Yeah, I thought so. Okay, just making sure. Just, but, you know, sometimes it's, you got to take the good with the bad when it comes to fiction, especially when it comes to folks that aren't around anymore. You got to kind of pick your battles a little bit. Or not, you know, maybe just throw throw them all out. Oh, he, he, Orson Scott Card's alive, and he is a terrible, terrible oh, person. Oh, he's alive? Yeah. Dang, on purpose. I didn't realize that. Okay, on purpose. <laughs> well, um, to, to your point, Ben, about this title of the prophet, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, this this stems from a vision that he claims to have had. Uh, something of a, you know, the the golden tablets being passed down from on high type vision um, from from uh, an entity he refers to as the master of life. Ah, yes, yeah. And so in Indiana, these two brothers. Tecumseh and Tenskwatawa, they get together, they build a town, and they name it Prophetstown. And the community that they build could be portrayed by some as a cult mm. because they were they were very much into uh, rejecting the normalization of what they saw as white customs. Sure. So they wanted to get rid of the, they wanted to cut the culture war off at the pass. And he's he's operating under these these orders or instructions from an entity that you know no one else can directly communicate with. That that is also a pretty pretty solid argument for a cult. When you have a guy who's saying, "I've got the goods, I've got the intel, no one else is capable of having it, and I'm the one that's going to interpret it and pass it down to you, my followers." Right? right exactly. And this is uh. You know, this is classic cult umami. This is just how it works. Uh, he he has this mysticism that appeals to people in the native communities. At this point, you know, almost everybody in a native community, regardless of their tribe, has been adversely affected by the expansion of, again, the nascent American state. And they've lost loved ones, right? They've been in wars. They've seen 
horrors visited upon their communities, civilians and warriors alike. So this message is coming at the right time. Unite against the unite for the greater good against this common enemy. Yeah. Yeah. Common enemy. And so as this community continues to grow more and more and more skyrocketing, Tecumseh starts to dream bigger. And he says, you know, one day, if these trends continue, there will be a world wherein our community is large enough and strong enough to stop the Americans from expanding. He said, we're going to band together. We're going to start a native confederation. And so he goes, leveraging his superb oratory oratory skills, he travels throughout the the land. He goes to speak with Ozark communities in York. Uh, He goes from Iowa to Florida, and he's gaining recruits the entire way. Uh, And he's saying, if I can get everybody to agree, despite their differences in time, then I can stop uh, what's happening to our native land. And he might have, if things had gone differently, history would have uh, taken a very different direction, but something happened while he was on the road. That's right. While he was on one of his uh, his missions, the governor at that time of the Indiana Territory, a man by the name of General William Henry Harrison, who you may have heard of, um, he led a militia of over a thousand men who marched on Prophetstown, um, which led to what uh, an event that would later be um, <laughs> would later be immortalized in a very popular slogan. Uh, it became a rallying point uh, politically, uh, for better or worse, um, the Battle of Tippecanoe. Mm, yes, yes, which you may recognize from some later political slogans. Uh, the Battle of Tippecanoe is fought between these U.S. soldiers and Native American warriors on the banks of a river called the Keth Tippecanoe, uh, which is right there in the middle of central Pennsylvania. And this occurs in the context of the Treaty of Fort Wayne, which is an agreement signed in 1809 that said, hey, if you're a Native American tribe or community in Indiana, you have to sell three million acres of land to the U.S. government. And because of this, Tecumseh, who at this time is chief of the Shawnee or one of the chiefs, he he's, takes his confederation of Native American tribes united and he says, let's come here. Let's combat this absolute deluge of pioneers and settlers coming into our land. And that leads the um, that leads Governor Harrison to destroy the Shawnee Village Prophet's town. And uh, when Harrison gets there, it's November 6th, 1811. He sees one of Tenskowatawa's, the one of the prophet's followers, waving a white flag, pretty much the universal sign for parley, surrender, or mm-hmm. negotiation. They requested a ceasefire. And they said, look, before anything goes sideways, Harrison and Tecumseh, you guys should sit down and you should talk about what's going on. But Tecumseh's not in town. He 
He's not there, unfortunately. He is away from Prophetstown. Um, he is uh, on another one of his missions to recruit warriors from uh, members of the uh, what are referred to as the Five Civilized Tribes, um, who were also seeing the same kind of uh, aggression um, being focused upon their lands, you know, folks marching upon them, or at the very least, the threat of of that kind of uh, intervention. Um, so everyone was looking to, you know, folks like Tecumseh for advice, you know, for guidance, and 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 this idea of. Um, Banding together and forming alliances became very, very attractive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Harrison says, okay, prophet, they call you. I'll agree to your terms. And he turns his guys around. They go to a hill about a mile away from Prophetstown on the banks of Burnett Creek. And Harrison doesn't think this is a real ceasefire. Because what uh, the prophet says is, look, let's just hold here until my brother can get here and you guys can talk this, this through, have your parlay. And Harrison is thinking with the cleverness of a snake. And he's oh, saying, boy. oh, sure, a trick him into a ceasefire and then murder them in the night. That's absolutely what I would do. <laughs> and so uh, he says, guys, don't chill out at camp. We need to maintain a watch. We need a rectangular yeah, defensive uh, position. But that's also something that Tecumseh wouldn't wouldn't sign on for. Tecumseh you know, wouldn't, but Tenskawatawa, he, he is divinely inspired. That's a really good point. And uh, yeah, it, it is very interesting, the relationship between Tecumseh and Tenskawatawa. Tenskawatawa operating under on, on these divine instructions. And, you know, when we know that when that can happen, pe people can go off the rails pretty quickly and get a little high on their own supply or, you know, drink their own Kool-Aid, to use another culty-related uh, uh, aphorism. Um, whereas Tecumseh, was really driven by that code, you know, that he was taught. He was really driven by the idea of not being a war. Don't do war crimes. Don't do know? war crimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but someone else who might see, you know, if, if I do it, it isn't war crimes because I am divinely guided. Exactly. That's problematic. I'm doing what the master of life told me to do. He's the master of life. Yeah. He knows best. Therefore, if I do this on his command this isn't this isn't a bad thing but to come on the other hand is operating under much more real world uh sets of of, of you know um mores and and values there's a deepness to it like that the differences between their philosophies and their relationships are with the world are what make them such a good team but ultimately it also leads to their downfall Spoiler. it's true and i was reading a little bit on the side just about how tecumseh largely you know used his brother and again max pointed off there that they might not have even been brothers they were more just like brothers in arms and like how it. everybody in atlanta is cousins. in atlanta exactly but Especially tecumseh, considering that like tecumseh was adopted too and right, that's right, right, right i'm right. very unclear um the the actual you know lineage, the blood lineage, but um, Tecumseh was, it was pretty clear, what was clear is that he was using this power that his, you know, that his brother had um, for political purposes. Not necessarily in a snake-like way, just in like a, you know, this is helpful. This is going to get us some feet in the door, right. you know, and, and, and help us amass some followers. And if it's all for the greater good of the tribes, and of the people, you know, of our people, then so be it. Mm -hmm. And Tenskawatawa, however, is also 
not above capitalizing on Tecumseh's absence. Because Tecumseh is gone from Prophetstown, Tenskatawa has the reins of control. He's the proxy ruler. And even though Tecumseh said, look, we cannot face American forces until we have our numbers beefed up, even though Tenskatawa is very well aware of this, because of his divine inspiration, he stands out on this rock ledge that overlooks Prophetstown. It's called Prophet's Rock today, by the way. And he starts singing war songs, chanting incantations, and he promises the people. There's a true fact. He promises oh, his followers that these spells, these prayers I am making, they will protect you from the U.S. bullets. And Oof. so when Harrison wakes the next morning, we don't know how well or how long he slept, but at dawn, he gets up and his entire camp a mile away on that hill is surrounded by Tenskwatawa's uh, warriors, and they are ready to go. If you want to learn a lot about the back and forth of how the battle actually occurred, and it looked like it was anyone's game for quite some time, Go to American Battle Trust, a great resource that Max found uh, that has, you know, this is like the kind of stuff you study at war college. Uh, it might put a lot of people to sleep, but it's it's like a blow by blow analysis of what happened. Well, and, and we know that around this time, I think we're starting to see native tribes having some form of, of, of uh, firearm. But, but certainly not to the same degree that the American forces would have. They weren't fighting, you know, m rifles one-to-one -one with, like, spears and bows and arrows. But they certainly did not have the same level and stockpile of weaponry that their opponents had. No. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And the, the entirety of the fighting lasts for about two hours. It might surprise a lot of people that for this kind of close-up fighting, or even when you get to hand-to-hand, -to -hand, those battles don't actually last a very long time. It's tremendously taxing on the physical body. You got to wonder, too, though, if Harrison was like, maybe we shouldn't just make this a massacre because I still am hoping perhaps to parlay with Tecumseh down the line. And if I, you know, absolutely annihilate his folks even though it's because his bro did a bad thing uh, and, and, and you know, went down a, a weird path, I, I don't know that that would be a good thing, big picture. I don't know what you got. That's just a, a, a yeah. guesstimation on my part. Unfortunately, what I think, we without knowing the interior mind of Harrison, we can say that he looked like he was willing to play ball in the beginning, but his march he already had a deficit of trust right and he clearly he did not consider native americans people he, he yeah let's yeah let's not tread too lightly on this guy being like some super woke historical figure he was just like you know his peers in that in that respect but he was shrewd so he was going to capitalize on these things and perhaps play the game acting as though he was going to parlay with them. I like think people. he gave them one real good faith chance. I think that's right. And this was this was it being squandered on their part. I think he would have given Tecumseh the chance to come to the table, 
to get help to come some i'll let you leave without killing your people that's right yeah that's that, that that's, i think that's as high as he would have gone it would have been like yeah you don't have to go home but you can't stay here and then say well this is our home and you'd be like nah about that well, though and, and, and even this sense of quote-unquote respect or admiration for tecumseh and his like oratory abilities probably didn't extend much further than like these folks th- looking at him as like being like a slightly you know better dressed member of a subhuman species you and, know what i mean yeah and let's also remember that his violence against Native Americans is a big reason Harrison later becomes president. That's right. We'll get That's to right. it. People love that. People were all about it. They were that. all about it. It was like it was like his version being able to juggle, but you know, genocide. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's this. There's always a catch. So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the catch? So we dug in, and after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Can you believe that? Mint Mobile's got a secret sauce, babies, and it is that they sell wireless service online, and by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. 
to get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. It does sound like he's giving them a chance to GTFO, right? And he doesn't want to lose soldiers because the U.S. is still recovering after the bloody Revolutionary War. He also would like to not do atrocities if he could dodge it, but his opinion on that is pretty ambivalent, as history will prove. So they have this one chance. They have this deficit of trust. Tenskawatawa acts out of line. He violates the chain of command. And as a result... And we're not saying magic's not real, but his magic doesn't work, right? As a result, Harrison is hardened against Prophetstown. He wanted it to be peacefully abandoned, but now he's all gas, no breaks. He just defends in the fight. Uh, Tenskatawa's forces are in, are set against him now because they believe the guy, but those those spells did not protect them from bullets. They got shot. They died. Yeah, they got maimed. Exactly. They come back and they're like, you are a snake oil salesman. Can you picture the montage of this in the movie where the, you as the audience are like, no, no, don't do it. No, get off that ledge. What are you doing? <laughs> You're sentencing your people to death at the very least uh, and, and absolute annihilation at the most. Unfortunately, this happens in um, this happens more recently, too, in history, in different conflicts on the African continent, including like Zulu Wars and in the boxer rebellion in china there have been these charismatic figures who claim that through magic they can make you immune to bullets and spoiler at no point in history has any one of those spells ever worked i'm trying to be really fair again i'm saying they haven't worked yet i don't know whether magic's real but the track record for bulletproofing through incantation is just terrible at this yeah. point and so Native Americans are abandoning Prophetstown. The vast majority of, of them are gone very quickly because they think Tenskatawa is a con artist or a failure. On November 8th, 1811, Harrison comes into the mostly abandoned Prophetstown and he burns it to the ground before marching back to uh, one of the major Indiana towns at the time, uh, Vincennes. Is that how we would say it? I think that's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe Vincennes, if we're going to be Italian about it. But <laughs> so tell us in the edits. Uh, yeah, but Tecumseh finally gets to Prophetstown three months later, and he just sees ruins. They're not even smoking at this point. The fires have died. Again, sorry to compare everything to movie production, but I can picture that too. He's coming back. He's done his due diligence, and they really crapped the bed while he was gone. And look at look at the wreckage they've left behind in their wake. Ennio Morricone begins to play. A million percent. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, these pop cultural references are are uh, are valuable for a reason because you know the history. If 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 nothing, at the end of the day, is storytelling. You know. So to come to his dreams of creating uh, creating a Native American confederation with Prophetstown as its capital, those dreams are dashed. 
And he says, you know what? This doesn't matter, though. I am still going to fight against this poisonous American expansion. And so he, again, he's very smart, right? He he can smell what's in the wind. He can see the signs forming. And he sees that, he, he calls it, he sees the there's going to be a war between the Americans and the British. They they still hate each other, right? It's not he's too a smart guy, the dude. He's reading the room, right? Yeah. He's like seeing the big picture. And so uh, he doesn't know that historians will call it the war of 1812 but he knows it's on the way and so he gets with uh he gets his surviving followers they go to fort malden on the canadian side of the detroit river and they join up with the british and these guys at this point all his followers they are battle hardened they've been traumatized they're not playing around uh so they are a huge factor in the British victory there. Uh, the British and the Native American forces capture Detroit, and they also capture 2,500 U.S. soldiers. It's a coup. Like, they it really did is. It. Yeah. After this um, victory, Tecumseh uh, takes off on another one of his long journeys uh, to, you know, gather uh, forces, you know, from the various tribes, uh, which did result in the uprising of the Alabama Creek tribe. Um, and that was in response to his uh, stirring, you know, um, rhetoric. Um, the Chickasaws, Choctaws, and Cherokees, however, were not feeling Tecumseh's vibes nearly as much. And at this point, I just think this is very interesting. He, you know, he, he is... He is a big picture kind of dude. He is able to kind of see what is needed uh, to get the job done. And sometimes that means joining forces with folks who may look like your enemy. Um, he actually uh, joins up with uh, the British general Henry A. Proctor in invading Ohio. Um, and, you know, again, common enemy. Um, and together they uh, take over Fort Miggs um, and they hold it. And William Henry Harrison, um, at this point, is on the Maumee River, just above Toledo, um, where, based on a, a kind of a strategic gambit by Tecumseh, um, he intercepts and destroys a brigade of Kentucky uh, soldiers under Colonel William Dudley. Yeah, and this is this is quite a clever move on Tecumseh's part because it cuts off support that would have enabled Harrison to continue uh, the conflict. However, this is a mixed bag victory because they don't capture the actual fort. They have to retreat. There is a that gives Harrison time to make a counterattack, despite the damage that's been done. On October 5th, 1813, British uh, and Native forces are routed. They're kicked out. They're run off. Harrison wins control of the area. Tecumseh is killed in action. His body is carried away from the conflict area. He's buried in a secret grave. And just like the grave of Genghis Khan, this burial place has never been discovered. And we still don't know much about his death. We don't know who killed him. Uh, we don't know how he died necessarily. All we can say for sure is that this real sleazebag named Richard M. Johnson later becomes vice president of the United States because of his tall tale. There's He claims that he had killed Tecumseh, and no one can disprove it. People don't really believe him, I think, but no one can disprove it. But it's a very convenient way to build a legend around yourself. Now, at this point, you're probably wondering, ridiculous historians, what happened to Tenskwatawa, the prophet? 
Well, he had already lost his prestige because it turned out the spells he cast did not work. He had fled to Canada and he had a creative split with Tecumseh and Tecumseh didn't really account for him in his plans because he wasn't an, he was no longer an effective propagandist which is really how he functioned the whole way through he lived until 1834 and he died in Kansas in a town called Argentine Kansas we didn't mention this by the way but one of the reasons he is known as the prophet is because he appeared to accurately predict a solar eclipse in 1806. Ah. So he did make the call there. But also, I would point out that Native American communities for thousands of years across North and South America, they had a pretty good grasp of uh, the patterns of the heavens. So it's kind of sure. like, it's kind of like saying, "Hey, it's going to be five p.m. after four thirty, and people are like, "This guy's a genius." And also, like a broken clock is right twice a day, that kind of thing. You know, where, where when you have people that are looking to you uh, to confirm whether or not you've got some sort of powers of sight, and then you get one thing right, and that's the one you kind of play up. You know, yeah, uh, reminds me of like Nostradamus and things like that, where you know he definitely had some things that you know played pretty close to the truth, but also when you interpret it in different ways, it was kind of just some fancy talk. Yeah, kind of like how Alex Jones was right about Bohemian Grove. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, we're aware of that, uh, but that doesn't mean everything they say is true. That's exactly right. But but oftentimes, you know, if you have zealous followers, they will point to that thing as uh, as proof positive that you are, you know, what you say you are and that you are some sort of messiah. Mm. And if you read more about the prophet, uh, what you'll see is that he was a propagandist. He was very much quote-unquote, about that life. Uh, he wanted to reject these the normalization, like I said, of various, quote-unquote, white cultural things. Said, you know, guys, stop drinking, which is great because alcoholism was and is a huge danger to Native communities. Said, look, we just wear clothes, clothing from animal skins and furs, like we always did. No individual can own land. And then he also had some more problematic stuff, like don't intermarry with any Europeans. Um, also, we should burn witches. Ooh, that, okay. That, that last one. That, yeah. that one didn't age super well, <laughs> did it? No. Yeah. I wonder where he put, when he was like listing off his things, did he just start, try, did he put witches at the end? Did he put it at the no, front? witches before like animal furs. So he says like, booze, booze is bad. We, you know, we can't own the land and we should burn the witches. And you know what? I animal it, furs. I think it was a mid-game slip in as well. Yeah. Should we also slam in the back of our Dragula? Yes. Yes, we the should. Digging ditches and burning witches while we're at it, you know. I'm, I'm sorry, never mind. No, I don't keep know why it. Rob Zombies in my head. Power Man is. Oh yeah, no, no that's think, Rob. That's they, they, they Rob. Were very, that's Rob. They're very in the same uh, wheel. Actually, I think the Power Man Five Thousand dude is Rob Zombie's like cousin or brother. Yeah, it's like his brother. younger brother. I think. I think that's right. Yeah. Well, let's let's verify this because this little, is there little are, 1999 nostalgia for you guys at the tail end of an episode. Uh, we've promised curses, y'all. We've promised curses, but as Max pointed out off air, you got to talk about the man before you can get to the curse because he also has to die in order for this curse to kind of start to 
to, right. to percolate. And uh, that is Spider One, the front man of Power Man 5000, That's the right. younger brother of Rob Zombie. I feel like they're in a Tecumseh Tenskobatawa situation. Yes. A little thank more you. wholesome. We got there. But uh-huh. they, uh, they, they're probably just a great hang on Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? I bet they, For sure. they seem like chill dudes. So you're right, Noel. We had to give you the first part, the true real world events and we hope you join us this thursday because later this week we're gonna get to the real juicy stuff in the next episode of ridiculous history part two of tecumseh's curse we're going to dive into the idea of the curse here in specific curses in general and the examples of the curse uh that the examples of the curse that uh, apparently according to true believers, continue to haunt U.S. presidents to this day. Spoiler, William Henry Harrison is the first guy who gets the curse. He had it coming. <laughs> That's for sure. He kind of definitely, it. Yeah. definitely the heel of our story here. Um, but speaking of our story, huge thanks to super producer and research associate extraordinaire Max Williams uh, for all of your incredible work on this research brief. We're looking forward to getting into part two. Uh, Max's brother, um, actual brother, by blood, in fact, uh, Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Yeah, hey, Max, between you and Alex, who's the Tenskawatawa? Who's the Tecumseh? I, I'm Tecumseh. He's definitely the prophet, even though I am the younger brother. I feel like, though, that's the kind of question when I ask siblings, uh, everybody will want to be Tecumseh, clearly, right? I don't know. Alex is weird. He might want to be the prophet. Okay. Loves an underdog. Uh, and thanks also to uh, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. That's just two times we've said the name. Thanks to A.J. Jacobs. Uh, the Puzzler will be returning later in May. Uh, Eve's Jeff Coat, Christopher Hasiotis. Uh, the good folks over at Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, we got a history of them coming up uh, all, all along the way. And uh, thanks to you, Noel. I'm excited for part two. Same here. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This episode is brought to you by Discover. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. 
Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.